Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth, broadcast from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. I'm sitting at the broadcast desk, and across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening this evening. Now, Pastor, as we start the program this evening, I want to start with a question that came in from a listener during the last week. And this question is as follows. Pastor, please explain Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 22. Does this section of verses teach that a person can lose their salvation? And let me read those verses to start us off. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled therein and overcome with the latter and overcome with and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Verse 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallering in the mire. Pastor, does that passage teach that a person can lose their salvation? Well, if you look at it on face value without uh, looking at the context and studying uh, the epistle of Peter, um, I suppose that some people could come to that conclusion. But that's one of the great dangers of just reading a passage of Scripture and without looking at the context, understand the whole purpose of the book. If a person would take some time, however, and begin to look at um, the beginning of the chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter 2, you'll see that Paul is talking about the apostasy of the end times, and he's talking about false teachers who have infiltrated the church. Paul or Peter? Uh, Peter, sorry. Uh, false teachers who have infiltrated the church. Um, he talks about their coming in privately, secretly, subtly, and bringing in damnable heresies in verse number 1. Uh, so clearly he's, he's talking about people who have infiltrated the church. They're not genuine. They're not authentic. They are false apostate teachers who have uh, entered the church in a very subtle way. Jude calls them creepers. They crept in unawares. And if you were to look at Second Peter and the book of Jude, you'll see there's a parallel between the book of Second Peter and the book of Jude. They seem to have had a common source of one as borrowed, borrowed, borrowed from the other. But in this chapter, uh, the description of these people that um, we have, and the language that is used, and the examples that are used, 
clearly show that these are not real, genuine Christians. These are professed believers who've come into the church, embraced the Christian message, but um, have apostatized and um, clearly they're not uh, real and genuine. I'll, I'll give you the reason why I say that. Paul, for example, in using examples, he talks about the fallen angels uh, in verse number 4 that uh, these people, he compares them to how the angelic beings that fell, how God reprobated them and God had confined them to, to judgment. He also compared them to the people of Noah's day. Not only eight people that were saved in Noah's day. Uh, so when you look at the passage of Scripture, if you look at verse number 5, uh, he compares them, uh, these apostates, to the people of Noah's day. And then the other thing, he compares them to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now remember, they're not even 15 righteous uh, ten righteous in, the, in in Sodom and Gomorrah. So the examples that are used to illustrate the apostates that he's dealing with in here uh, clearly makes it um, obvious that he's dealing with people who have embraced uh, Christianity intellectually, uh, have come into the church, but there's no real authentic change, and their nature has not changed. I'll, I'll show that to you very shortly. The other thing that uh, in describing them, in verse 1, he calls them false teachers, um, in verse 1, he said that deny the Lord who brought them. So they denied his lordship and they denied his vicarious death for them. Uh, in verse number 3, he said that they're covetous. That means that they're mercenary. They're motivated by profit. He says that they're great talkers or pretentious speakers. Uh, he calls them, verse number 9, he said they're unjust. That word unjust can never be applied to a true believer because that word means that they're unrighteous. Mm. Uh, he says in uh, verse number 9 that they walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. These are womanizers and men-seekers. These are people who are in the church, but they are lecherous people who are addicted to sexuality. And the whole purpose of using religion is both to gain financial gain and to exploit people and to, 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 to use uh, people. Sounds some, like some religious leaders of today's day and age. As a matter of fact, there's no better description in all the Bible um, the, uh, the contemporary age in which we live than the book of First Peter, First Second uh, Peter, chapter two. Uh, this is terrible language that is used and unsavory and unpleasant content. But the gist of the matter is that he's explaining what we can expect in the last days and what will be the state of the church in the last days. So uh, we are right there at this point in time. Uh, the other thing he said in verse number nine is that they have no respect for authority. Uh, they speak ill of dignitaries, people who are in leadership position. He described them in verse number 10 as presumptuous, arrogant. Um, he said they're self-willed. They're not, they're totally would ignore any biblical authority because they, they, they make their own choice, totally self-willed, complete ignoring the biblical authority. And then uh, he says that they're natural brute beasts. The idea is that they're totally irrational in verse number 12. Uh, totally irrational people, uh, and they're illogical, and just like beasts are operate on the basis of instinct and not rationality. So you can't appeal to them for scripture, or this is what the Bible says. They're going purely on instinct. Uh, he said also in verse number 13 of them, he said, uh, they shall receive the reward um, of unrighteousness as they that conquer pleasure to right in the day. These are reckless people whose public life is a shame and they're a public spectacle, but they're not embarrassed by it. 
And I think we know when you hear about the religious leaders who are in, uh, especially the TV evangelists, who the, the reckless lives that they live, the mercenary way in which they live, um, um, you would think that there would be some kind of embarrassment or shame when these things are brought to the attention of themselves, but they're gotta always defending. Got to have a $50 million jet. Correct. And not just one. Yeah. <laughs> Another one just in case that one is not <laughs> functioning. And then uh, if you look at verse 14, he says, having eyes full of adultery. Now think about that mm-hmm. for just a moment. These are people that are sexual predators. Uh, they are sexual exploiters, uh, abusers. And, and and then he says also in the same verse, um, uh, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. The addicts, right? Uh, so the language that is used here uh, clearly is not the language that would describe a true uh, believer. Uh, he also calls them unstable. Uh, there are clouds that are driven uh, driven by the wind, basically. Uh, he says that um, um, there are wells without water. What that means, they're fakes. They promise you uh, more than they can deliver. Uh, they speak so eloquently. And then he says that they speak with great spe- uh, swelling words. They are great pompous orators. They can speak well. They can mesmerize people with their language. And then he said uh, that in reaching people, what they do in verse number uh, 18, he says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They allure through the lust of the flesh. So the same problem that they are there, uh, their problem is they're sexual predators. And they now use that message to attract people who are people inclined towards um, uh, sexual interests. And then he said that they're wanton. The other words that he used um, in the passage, uh, he said that they are slaves to corruption. That means they're bondage to sin. And then he he said that, uh, verse number 20 says, For if after they've escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein. The point is that these are people who have received the gospel intellectually. They've come into the church. Uh, They've found that the truth in the gospel has enabled them to gain victory over uh, these passions. But later on, there's no meaningful relationship. It's just an intellectual truth that they've embraced. But can you gain victory over sin if you're not really saved? Of course. If you follow biblical principles that you don't Mm -hmm. uh, get involved with wrong company— I see. Uh, so there are things that you can do that the, that the Bible tells you to do if you don't, you're not going to. I mean, the thing we got to realize that uh, the final thing we need to realize in this passage, what he says in verse number 22, he says, uh, But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned unto his own vomit. The point here is that the nature hasn't changed. They're not sheep, they're dogs. They were always dogs. You'll never see a sheep vomit and go back and, and lap it up. And the point he's making here that they have this is reformation. These are people who have reformed themselves outwardly, but there's no inward transformation. It reminds me of our Lord when he talked about the house that is cleaned. You mean it was filled with the devil, and then the individual reformed it and cleaned the house. And then sometime later, seven devils worse than the first one. Come. But you notice what he says. The house is empty. It is clean but empty. A Christian is not empty. The house of the believer is clean, but it's filled with the Spirit. But in the case of the parable the Lord pointed out, it's the kind of person who reforms outwardly, but there's no real inward reality. 
And as a result, sooner or later in life, that person reverts or relapses back into the old state because there's no real genuine change of their nature. So I would say to the person, when you look at the passage itself and look at the context of the passage, we're not here dealing with um, regenerated people. We're dealing with people who've uh, intellectually embraced the Christian message, have experienced some kind of reformation in terms of their outward life, but in the long term, they soon discover that their life is empty, and uh, they reach to the point where they say to themselves something like this, well, this doesn't work, Christianity doesn't work, and so they revert back to the old style. The truth of the matter is, they were never changed, they were never transformed, their nature remained the same, and uh, they were never filled with the Holy Spirit at regeneration because there was no regeneration, there was only reformation. So this is not a passage that talks about a believer being saved and lost. This is talking about people who profess to be Christians in the church and later discover to the dismay that it's all been superficial and um, it begins to bear fruit and they get frustrated with the Christian faith. They turn away because there's no real regeneration. So this is an example of why it's important to know the context of the passage and not just pull a verse. Yeah, because you can take any verse of Scripture and um, if you go directly on that verse, you can actually misinterpret the verse like this one. Clearly, if I took this verse as it is, because it says uh, they already had knowledge of the truth. But we all know uh, I myself have been through several encounters when I was a boy. I made several professions, but I knew when I really got saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew when I look back on the day I really got saved that my going forward and my making a profession was not genuine, it's not real. Sometimes it would receive the prize because the missionary was given a prize and I wanted a prize. Uh, but it was not that I was under so much conviction that would move me to, to redemption. So I can say from my own experience that it's possible to... And by the way, I was a good boy as a result of going to church. So that's why I say it can, can change the way you live. You wouldn't do... You wouldn't gamble, you wouldn't pitch marbles for uh, 10-cent pieces, etc., etc. So there are a lot of good things that you avoid doing because you've been exposed to the gospel. But ultimately, sooner or later, uh, you can't continue living that kind of a life. The Reformation is not enough. You need regeneration. So what is true salvation? Well, true salvation, as I keep saying on this program, begins with a deep conviction of your sin. Uh, And that deep conviction of your sin normally as a result of the Holy Spirit working in your life and bringing you to the point where you see yourself as before God guilty and that you need uh, to be forgiven. And that leads to repentance. And I repeat, it leads to repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is I am willing to turn away from my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A lot of people today uh, are misled because they come into the Christian life because we tell them, believe. We don't emphasize the, the repentance aspect of it. And consequently, when they come into the Christian faith, they say a little prayer, they enter the church, they become members. Later on, uh, it dawns on them that they've never really, really turned away from their sin. They just came into the church. Maybe they escaped hell, but there was no genuine repentance. And that's why the Bible emphasizes repentance of your sins and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you come to the point of conviction, you come to the point of repentance, and then you you present yourself to the Lord for forgiveness and pardon, and you're willing to embrace uh, what Christ did for you on the cross, believing that he died as your substitute, and that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, uh, his righteousness is put to your account, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, and um, you become a child of God adopted into God's family. But it involves, the key thing here is repentance, faith, and uh, trusting in the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross for our sins. Uh, so, and, and of course, that isn't just what salvation is all about.
It's not joining a church. I want to repeat that. It's not joining a church. Um, it's not being confirmed. It's not being baptized. These Keep, are things that follow conversion. Keeping the law. It's not keeping the law either. That can't save you either. As a matter of fact, there's never a man who's ever been able to keep the law except Jesus Christ. Even today, there's not a single person that could keep the law perfectly. Uh, and of course, that is why it's so important to be saved and know Christ as Savior because the great miracle, I was discussing this with the, in my office with a, a person from the States this week who came in from, um, from Sandals. Uh, they're going to do a project here in Antigua for eyeglasses, etc. A gentleman I met. And um, I had an opportunity to talk to him and explain to him uh, this whole concept uh, of the gospel. But it is more than just belonging to a church and um, um, keeping something. And my big point to him is that uh, Christ not only forgives you of your sins, God pardons you, but Christ's righteousness is imputed to you because even though I am pardoned and forgiven, I still have my sinful nature. So the question is, how again can a holy God deal with me? If, uh, okay, my sins are forgiven, but I'm still conscious that I have a sinful nature. The biblical answer for that is that God imputes Christ's righteousness to us, and God sees us in Christ. So he deals with me because I am in Christ's righteousness, and that's why he can... can Without that, there's no way I can approach God. Honestly, there's no Mm. way you or I can approach God unless we are in Christ and his righteousness imputed to our account. On that basis, God treats us as righteous as his son is righteous, and that's why we can still be have a sinful nature, and God can still deal with us. There's no solution to the problem apart from that. See, So we have to tell people that when they... It's not just about being forgiven. It's about having the righteous Christ imputed to your account. And of course, that involves through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who works on the inside of the believer to transform the outward man. So the Holy Spirit's job is to make us holy. People need to understand that. You talked about we'll still have a sinful nature and we may still struggle, we may still fall. got a question for you. We're coming up to carnival season here in Antigua. And I heard just this afternoon on another radio station a slogan that was, getting you ready for carnival, it's all about the party. Pastor, what about the person who says they've become a Christian and uh, is finding themselves being drawn back to that party, that carnival activities? What advice do you have for them? Well, I I would suggest a person going to the Bible and uh, see that the Bible uh, speaks very clearly. Uh, you know, um, Augustine, St. Augustine, uh, before he was converted, you know, he, he liked this kind of stuff. The womanizer, as a matter of fact. And um, he, it was just a problem he had. He was just an addict, to be very honest with you. I remember that the verse of Scripture that came to his mind was in Romans. I think it was Romans chapter 12. And make no provision for the flesh, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. And not in rioting in the day. That was the verse that brought about his conversion. And I think a person who is a believer and who is tempted to go back into this um, ungodly lifestyle, I think they need to get back into the Bible and see what the Bible says on this matter because this is disapproved by God that we should riot in the day in this kind of a carnival. And by the way, the word carnival has to do with flesh. It is given vent to the flesh, basically. It is about walking up. It's about, it is about letting loose in, in, in public. And that certainly is, is, is not supported in Scripture. And I would tell a believer who... Uh, and by the way, part of the reason why I think people get engaged in these kind of things, they call it culture. 
And I keep reminding people that Christ um, redeems culture. Uh, What I mean by that, not everything in culture a believer should get involved in. There are some things that in culture that are wrong. And a believer ought to be able to say, I can, for example, they can have a, um, at the time of the year when they have like the mango fest. Yeah, at a time when they have the, when they have a cultural thing when everybody cooks different type of food, I can go down there and buy a food and walk around and enjoy myself, etc. But the actual um, getting into the carnival, displaying my nakedness and walking up and being part of that that total confusion, um, I cannot conceive of a true, genuine believer thinking that that could ever be right. Um, he ought to read the scriptures and look what the Bible says and get a firm rebuke from it. But it's not part of the Christian life, and we should not tolerate it. We ought to be different. Uh, people think that by being like people, we attract. We don't attract by being like them. We attract when we're different from them. And um, I, it's hard for me to uh, see a believer in church on Sunday morning, and then I meet him on the streets, uh, walking up on carnival. Uh, what kind of a testimony and a witness would that be? But that is the state of the modern church that we're in. It's a Anything goes, it's the cultural church, it's not the biblical church any longer, it's the cultural church that is the dilemma. And it, uh, uh, you know, it's, it is sad and pathetic that um, this is where we reach. But once again, it's because the church has apostatized from the biblical truth. I am very careful today um, when I talk about um, Christian truth. I don't talk about Christian truth anymore, basically, unless it's by slip of the mouth. I talk biblical truth. Because the two are very different. P- things that people claim that are Christian are totally not Christian. Uh, so you have to start go- to calling people back, not the Christian truth, to the, the biblical truth. Biblical truth. That is the only way to solve the problem. Uh, um, I don't know if you, s- I mean, I don't want to go off on this, but th- this week, uh, no, last week, I, I got an uh, email that uh, shocked me. And I don't know my my, my mention it here on the on the radio uh, on the on the on the radio, but uh, this uh, pastor in New York belonging to this what is called this progressive liberal church, uh, who was just recently fired, uh, facially defrocked. Uh, by the way, she's a lesbian herself. The church pays her. I don't want to be exaggerate, but it's something like two hundred fifty or four hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. She gets a housing allowance, I think, of $80,000. But she was dismissed uh, for the simple reason that other pastors were visiting. They had some kind of a conference. One of the other, conference, one of the other pastors that belonged to this, this group, denomination, he is homosexual. So she takes these fellows on, uh, on a, a shopping trip and buys vibrators, uh, sexual vibrators for the other pastors. And when the church learned of that, the church fired. She should never have been a pastor in the first case. Uh, she should have been fired a long time. A woman like that is not to belong to the pulpit. Yeah. The man who's a woman doesn't belong to the pulpit. The Bible teaches a woman shouldn't belong to the Correct. pulpit. Correct. But that gives you an idea of where the church is. So when people hear that this is the kind of the church, we've got to call people back, not to Christianity, to biblical truth. Biblical truth is what we've got to call people back to. But that's this unsavory state in which the modern church finds itself. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, we have two text messages that have come in from Nevis. The first one, 
Pastor, is there a verse, or are you familiar with a verse that says, married and enter into as I have prepared for you? Are you familiar with that no, phrase? that's not in the Bible for sure. I'm very, very sure about that. That might be in a, one of the ceremonies, but in terms in the scriptures, it's not there. Okay. What And the second question is, the soul and the mind and the will and emotions, can you please explain, uh, let me read it as it is, and the soul is mind, will and emotion. If yes, please explain will. Okay, what, what, we, what we believe uh, is that man is a tripartite being. Uh, there are some people who believe that man is a dichotomy. There's a, a spiritual part and there's a physical part. And they believe that the spiritual part is divided into two parts. But we, uh, Paul talked about God preserving body, soul, and spirit. So clearly that passage speaks that there's a, a tripartite in, the, in us. And then also in Hebrew to talk about the dividing of the sun of the soul and the spirit. The soul and the spirit is the immaterial part of man. The body is the material part of man. The body is the world consciousness. It's the part through which the gate to which the phenomenon that we experience in the world, our senses, let me put it that way. The body is what uh, receives messages from the uh, different phenomena there, what, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste. That is the what we call the world, con- that makes us world conscious of, of the uh, physical phenomena, etc. The s- spirit is that part that is God conscious. That's the part that the Bible says is dead in man. When man fell, and Paul talked dead in trespass and sin, uh, that part of man, the spiritual part of man is dead. The soul is the self-conscious part of man, which includes your your will, includes your mind, and includes your emotion. Remember that human personality is made out of those three, three things, intellect, emotions, and will. So you've got volition, you've got uh, intellect, and then you've got, uh, you've got uh, emotions. So it's your soul part of you, your self-conscious part of you, that is, connects the body with the spirit. But that is why uh, your will is part of your soul part of you. But until the spirit is once again quickened, made alive, that the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, at conversion is when the spiritual part of man is now quickened and made alive so that you can now connect with God. Uh, so I hope that helps to explain to the uh, the listener uh, what we're talking So there's a physical uh, world consciousness of us, this is your body, there is a spiritual uh, spirit consciousness, that's a spirit, and there is a, a self-consciousness that involves both your your will, your your um, your emotions, and your intellect, uh, which would include, of course, your mind. That's the three parts of an individual. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua. On 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Also, you can join us behind the scenes on Facebook Live. Just go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed. If you're enjoying listening to Pastor Murphy's teaching, you can also listen to his program, Sermons of Grace, on Sunday evenings at 8.15 p.m. here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Or you can visit Grace Baptist Church 
Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Sunday school at 9 a.m., morning worship service at 10 a.m., service at 7 p.m. on Sunday evenings, and prayer and Bible study on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Tonight we are continuing our discussion that we've been doing for a couple of weeks now on drugs, and specifically tonight we will be discussing marijuana. To start it off, Pastor, I know that we the marijuana is often considered a hallucinogen. I think I got that word pronounced properly. Can you explain to me what does that word mean and what kind of effect does that have on us? Well, a uh, hallucinogen is a drug that is capable of producing any kind of perceptual distortion in your mind. Uh, it alters your thinking. Uh, it can create hallucinations, and a hallucination is an uh, emotional experience or sensory experience that you have that only exists in the mind. And what I mean by that is something you see or hear that doesn't really exist outside your mind. Like somebody said, well, I, I heard it. You could, you, he said, I hear somebody talking, but you can't hear. Or, you know, I, I saw something coming from under the bed. This is what happens with long-term marijuana use, by the way, when you go to withdrawal. So they're seeing things that you can't see because they don't only really, really exist except in the mind. That's what the drug does to you. Uh, it also um, is able to intensely change your uh, create emotional variations. And it can give you what they might call a non-rational reverie uh, in your thinking where you have this euphoric feeling of, of, um, of, of uh, pleasure. It can, it can do that to you. And then it can create also uh, ego distortions where you lose your, where does your real self exist and where does the world exist? You, you, you can almost blend with the universe, basically. So it's really a mind-altering jog, jog that alters your perception. So when you hear the word hallucinogen, uh, that is what the drug is. And that is where marijuana is uh, one of the three main hallucinogens today, including uh, LSD, mescaline, and marijuana, but marijuana happens to be the most popular one t- today. But that's what it is—a mind-altering drug that alters your perception. Let's take a step back and talk about where marijuana comes from. The the extracts or the the drug properties. Where do we get that from? Well, marijuana comes from the hemp plant, and the the um, the content of it, especially the, the THC that gives you the high, that is normally concentrated in the um, the what you may call the the buds of the plant itself, like a flower bloom. Yeah, the flower part of the, the, the plant itself. So, but mainly the resin from that, uh, especially the unfertilized female hemp plant is where you get most powerful marijuana. The male is not as powerful as the female, but normally the concentration uh, is in the flower tops. So the resin that is uh, in the plant, and the resin, by the way, is helps to protect the plant from too much sunlight. That is where the concentration is within the, 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 the plant itself. So along with the stem and the leaves, you normally have to get the flowering top mixed into it to get the kind of high that you really need. The other part is not as, as, as potent and powerful in the THC as you would find within the, the flowering tops. But God created all plant life, correct? Yep. So you're saying that something that God created we should not be using? 
I'm saying there are a lot of things that God created that we should not be using. You can go down the beach and see the mansion eel tree. Try eating that. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I've known of tourists who've come here and actually yeah. thought it was a fruit and ate it and almost died. They've yeah. had to go to the hospital and it eats up all your throat, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, look, two things I would say. One is we, gotta, we cannot understand this world apart from the fall. When God made everything, everything was good. Everything was good. But as a result of the fall, there's a curse. A curse not only on man, but a curse on creation. So we got to understand that uh, the fall has brought about uh, a lot of these results in nature. So there are things in nature that we must not assume that because God made it, uh, that he made it so. Uh, the curse explains why some things are poisonous and some, why some things can be eaten. The other thing I would say to you is that even though uh, God made this, and no doubt uh, herbs have certain extracts that are useful for medicinal purposes, I don't debate that. I don't even debate that the marijuana plant has certain medicinal uh, products that are useful. Doctors tell us that. I'm going to take their word for it because these are people who've done the study. They've done tremendous research. And uh, we've seen it on television, on CNN and other radio program, other um, television programs where it's very clear that it helps people in certain conditions. But this is not a basis for us to encourage the use of marijuana the way it is used recreationally because it's a very harmful and dangerous drug, which I hope that we'll be able to discuss at some point in time. But uh, we must not use the excuse because God made it, therefore we can just recklessly use it. Uh, and understand the curse has brought um, um, sin, brought curse into the world, and the plant life as well as the human life has suffered as a result of human sin. You're listening to That's Truth. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is four minutes after 8 p.m. on this Tuesday evening. Pastor, is there other ways of using marijuana? I'm not asking this because I expect that you've used it, but are there other ways <laughs> of using marijuana other than smoking it? Look, I've never used marijuana. I have no desire to use marijuana. I, I can't understand the madness of using marijuana as a recreational drug. Um the fact of the matter is that marijuana is normally used uh, two basic ways. It is used where people use it to smoke. It's called a joint. Where they take the dried leaves and the stem and the flooring top and they chop it up and roll it. And uh, they call it a joint, a weed, or reefer. They call it a stick. Um, sometimes they add incense to it as well to mask the smell of marijuana because marijuana has a very distinct smell. So sometimes when you pass a place uh, and you smell incense, uh, generally speaking, they're trying to mask the, the, the smell of the marijuana. But that's one way. Uh, that is one way of smoking. The other way is eating it. it it's, um, they've now got marijuana recipes for chili pot, pot meatballs, spaghetti sauce, cookies, brownies. and of course, brownies is yeah. a very common one. And uh, sometimes they even turn into some kind of a sweet. Uh, that is a dangerous one that sometimes is peddled to kids who are not aware of, of uh, think it's a toffee or something, but it's laced with marijuana. Um, so basically, you either can smoke it, or generally speaking, or they can, can eat it. And it's, those are the two basic ways that they use it. Now, you and I would both enjoy a good glass of tea, uh, maybe for the caffeine purposes to keep us awake when we're struggling to stay awake. How is that any different, Pastor? than me getting a pot brownie and enjoying that in order to give me a little bit more buzz. Well, the difference is that 
caffeine is not going to change and alter your thinking, your mind. It's not going to make you think that you can fly. It's going to make you think that you don't know who you are. You mess, you, you blend with the universe. Uh, it's not going to affect you physically the way marijuana does. And we talk about the physical effects and the mental effects and the emotional effects. Uh, it doesn't make you psychotic when you take coffee. It doesn't make you neurotic when you take coffee. It doesn't uh, lead you to get leukemia when you take coffee. It doesn't destroy your fertility, your male fertility, when you drink coffee. Uh, so you, they're not to be equated. Yes, uh, um, coffee is a, is a drug like any other thing you use. But again, uh, what is the effect of it? Uh, and so I, I don't think there's a fair comparison because one completely alters your mind and put you in a different uh, higher level of what they call consciousness. The other one uh, is a stimulant and it might make you feel better, but you're not taking the drug in order to, so you can't converse with me or so that you think you're a great intellect when in fact you're talking nonsense, but you feel that somehow you, you're in an intellectual world that is par excellence. The problem is that the marijuana have gotten to your head and you don't even realize how stupid you are in terms of what you're talking. Uh, that, that is really the problem we have. And then, of course, we're going to talk about attention deficit syndrome, the fact that you can't concentrate. The fact that it destroys your brain cells, that it destroys logical thinking, uh, the mental effects of marijuana on, on long-term use, um, clearly is nothing in comparison to coffee. As a matter of fact, some people would take coffee to be alert, to be able to maybe do their studies or maybe to, to, if they've got some homework to get done. But it's not the same as the marijuana use. You referenced a little bit ago the high that someone can get from marijuana. Where does that come from? Not that I'm looking for a science lesson here, but how does that come about? Well, uh, the the thing in the marijuana, the uh, the chemical in the marijuana, gives you high something called THC. Uh, medical terms that is called tetrahydrogen cannabinidol. Uh, it was first isolated in 1942 and then successfully synthesized in 1965. But that is the, the chemical in the marijuana that actually gives you the high. And by the way, they, they tell us that you need at least 2% or more of THC uh, for it to be potent enough uh, to give you some mind-altering results uh, uh, in your life. So you need at least 2%. Now here's the difference, by the way. A lot of marijuana, when they first started using, was just like 5%. Today... Marijuana is up 20%. The THC in marijuana is 20%. So it's, it's like five to six times uh, more powerful than it was when it was first used. And that's because people are now breeding the plant and uh, using scientific uh, breeding techniques to increase the level of this THC. So it's not the same marijuana that people used, say, 20 or 30 years ago, and people don't understand. It's much stronger, much more lethal than what was previously used. Now, I've talked to some people who, I've got a couple individuals in my mind who have said, oh, I can take some marijuana, I can smoke a joint, and it doesn't affect me like it affects the person down the street. Uh, is there any basis to that? or? Yeah, there's a, a lot. I mean, look, marijuana doesn't affect everybody the same way. we got to give that credit. And it varies, the effect varies greatly. And the experience that a person will have when they smoke marijuana def depends on several factors. Number one, it depends on the personality of the individual. There are 
uh, there are people who got very weak personalities, people who got very strong personalities, depending on your personality can affect you differently. And then what are your expectations? What do you really expect out of the drug? Uh, and then the other thing is the surroundings at the time of the use, uh, the environment in which it is being used. It can actually have an elevating effect on you or a dampening effect on you. And then the potency of the dose that you're taking, uh, how powerful it is, that can affect people differently and the way the dose is used are you going to use uh, a water pipe are you going to use a token pipe are you going to wrap it in paper like you do cigarettes uh, again if you use a water pipe it's much more powerful because it goes into the water and is trapped so you get more of it so it depends on how you use it so it's affect people differently accordingly in that matter and then um it depends too on the state of the individual, his, his the mood at the time. What kind of a mood? Is he anxious at the time? He's taking marijuana? Uh, is he worried? Is he fearful? Is he is he uh, um, you know is he down? Is he up? Uh, is he anxious? Is there any particular fear? All of these things factors uh, the the personality, the expectation, the surrounding environment, the potency of the the dose. Um, how it is consumed, and also the individual himself and the state in which the individual, all of these will uh, be a matrix that will uh, decide how how this particular dose affect the person. So it's not one person is going to have the same effect because no one person have all of these six factors at the same level. And that is why uh, they can have different experiences. Do we know how fast the effect will kick in and how long it'll last or again that's based on those six factors well generally speaking if you're smoking marijuana if you're smoking it the effect normally begins about a half an hour after you start smoking and it lasts for two to three hours the effect lasts for two to three hours if you're eating marijuana uh, the effect delays about two to three hours but it lasts longer it can last as long as six hours so it depends on how you use it uh, but generally speaking it kicks in after half an hour when you're smoking. It lasts about two to three hours. If you're eating it, it takes about two hours to three hours for it to affect you, but then it'll last up to about six hours. So uh, it depends on how you're using the, the marijuana itself. So is the marijuana the drug or the THC is the drug? THC is the drug. Okay. THC is the drug. It's, uh, the marijuana, uh, what we call is the, the come from the hemp plant, but it's actually the THC that gives you that. That's why I say to people that the THC that people are using, the purpose for using the marijuana, is not the uh, the medicinal properties that the doctors are talking about that is such a helpful uh, ingredient in the product, in the, in, the, in the plant itself. You can actually get uh, THC without having to smoke marijuana. See, but the reason why people are, and you can get the other products without having to use the smoke the marijuana. But what people want is the high, and they are rationalizing the use of the product because what they really want is the THC. They're not interested in the medicinal use of the product. Uh, they are interested in getting this this particular high. Can you explain a little bit about the effects of that high or the effects of marijuana? Well, generally speaking, when a person, a uh, user, uh, they report that they get feelings of great con uh, contentment. Uh, and again, that's why people use the drug. They, they, they're having problems. They're faced with stress. And again, then there's a feeling of a relaxation. Sometimes they feel as though they're flowing past reality. Uh, they're also an increased self-awareness. You become more aware of yourself than normally. 
And then there's a great sense of fellowship, especially when you're smoking with other people. There's a kind of a camaraderie. It's like it's like drunkards in a rum shop who get there. To, it's, it's that kind of a spirit that, that is created when they begin to use it. Now, if the dose is powerful enough, uh, it can also lead to what is called visual hallucinations. Uh, it can also increase sensitivity to song. It songs better. Music songs better when you're under uh, the high of marijuana than normal. Uh, and then they can experience something called synthesis. And what I mean by that is they could almost feel like they could taste colors and see music. Uh, that's the unusual mental um, delusion that they're under. And the other thing is that um, they can fe- have what is called a... Um, a wave-like sense of reality where like when they're together is like the other person's body is sending off waves that you can in, that they can interpret so they feel they can know you at a greater depth than you know them because it's like a wave that they experience it and then um, also they will frequently think that they're more uh, thinking more clearly and enjoying a greater insight into nature uh, while they're stoned. The truth of the matter is when you begin to talk, well, they're talking so much nonsense. But to them, they are at a level of intellectualism that you are you are so inferior to them because they are at this, on the high, they are in the clouds, as it were, at a greater height of uh, intellectual understanding than you are. Then some other uh, effects, of course, is that it would can lead to um, terrifying anxiety and paranoia where you think that people are trying to get you. Uh, and by the way, this is beyond rational. Uh, that they might you might be talking to the guy and he's constantly looking because he thinks somebody's coming after him or something, you know. <laughs> and then the other thing is that they lose a sense of time and space becomes distorted, and uh, time seems stretched out, and space seems stretched out as well. That is why when you're driving a vehicle and you're under the influence of marijuana, it is extremely dacious because the distortion between what time it is and the space that's between where you're going, you almost um, lose consciousness of time and space. So your reaction time Reaction time is very, very, very bad. I think it's 40% less than the average person. And that's why it's a dangerous drug as well, just to be uh, driving. I don't know if you want to break it down this far, but what about like the physical effects versus the mental effects? And okay, let me let me deal a little bit more with, with that there because the severity of the effects, uh, as I mentioned, depends on the potency of the drug, it depends on the quantity that you're taken, and it also depends on the personality individual. Uh, some of the physical effects it will have: the pupil of the eye will dilate. And normally, the white of the eye becomes bloodshot. That's why you find a lot of people who use marijuana use shades and glasses uh, because the the white of the eye is normally bloodshot. The other thing is that uh, you'll find that if a child is using it at home, um, I, I think I mentioned this before, he might steal the mother's eye drops uh, because he's trying to deal with the problem with the eyes. Um, and then it raises your blood pressure. Uh, it makes you breathe more rapidly. Sometimes you can have chills, drowsiness, a burning feeling in the throat and the lungs. Uh, you can experience nausea, diarrhea, and hunger or thirst can also be very, very uh, common. And then there's something, Nathan, that um, calls CHS. Um, that word CHS um, stands for uh, cannabinoid hyper 
emesis syndrome. And what it does, this is something in America. If a person smokes marijuana, for example, for 20 days per month, he can experience what is called CHS. And what this involves, the symptoms of it, they begin to experience pain, uh, uncontrollable nausea, and vomiting. I am told that um, in America, there are now three over three million marijuana users that suffer from CHS. Mm. Uh, it's a f- serious problem. And uh, the only solution to know about that is to take a hot bath that lasts about six hours. That's one percent of the society. <laughs> well, I I mean of uh, of the of the U.S. society. Well, what is three hundred and thirty million people, and you said three million people. Th- three million. That's the statistics. That's wow. the statistics of America. Uh, and by the way, it, it's, um, it's 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 vomiting part of it is something that you can't seem to be able to control, and uh, and uh, and nausea, constant nausea. That is one of the effects that they're currently experiencing uh, in, in America. Now, in terms of the mental effects, um, one of the great dangers, and this is something, a study was done in Morocco, by the way, um, they find that in a two-year period, uh, 25% of the male that were admitted to the psychiatric hospital had been admitted for something called cannabis psychosis. I repeat, 25% of all admissions to the psychiatric hospital in Morocco were a result of the abuse of marijuana. Um, if you keep on using it over a long period of time, uh, there's something called precocious senility. Of course, precocious means that you develop very early. And what that means that, according to the Moroccan study, that people become more senile much earlier if you keep on using marijuana for a prolonged period of time. And the other thing is the overall physical and mental deterioration of the individual uh, is, is takes place when the use of marijuana. Another thing that is important, Brother Nathan, is the, the, the kind of personality changes that is brought about in the use of marijuana. This is a study done like by... Just while you're high or long-term personality changes? Generally, as you're using marijuana uh, on a regular basis, okay? Dr. William H. McGolfith, um, a psychologist, um, he has done a study... And he says that it brings about gross personality changes with prolonged use uh, and excessive use of cannabis. He talks. He says that some of these personality changes, these number one, and we see it all the time here in Antigua, by the way, loss of ambition. You meet a young man that you knew years ago. He came from a good family, got a good education. Uh, got into a reasonably good job, and you meet him five years afterwards. And when you talk to him at first, when you first knew him, he's ambitious. He wants to go places. He wants to achieve. You meet him five years there. You can't believe he's the same man. Uh, physically, he looks emaciated. Uh, he looks as though he's suffering from anorexia. He, uh, he, his whole demeanor has changed. Uh, his whole personality has changed. And he's not ambitious any longer. Neglect of personal habits, hygiene, uh, dress, general appearance. All I would say to you, walk the streets of Antigua and you will see exactly a perfect description. But this is a study that was done and showed that this would be the result 
of the use of marijuana. Nobody listens any longer. So what we're seeing on the streets is exactly a byproduct. But it's not that the research is not there. It's not that the studies have not been done. It's just that we've bought into the idea that it has medicinal purposes. People who have got um, vested interest in terms of the monetary returns, they're the one pushing this whole thing and not looking at the, the, the real negative effects it's going to have. Now, what about intellectual uh, a study was done by Dr. Helen H. Knowles and, um, on the effects of, of drugs on, on, on campus. And uh, the first thing they said that anyone that gets in drug, involved in drugs, um, it is not consistent with serious academic work. Uh, the National Institute on Mental Health uh, have identified and verified the following about marijuana users. One, uh, it alters the sequential thought pattern. Uh, this is Reese and Jones. In other words, it develops disjointed thinking. You don't longer think sequentially. Now you think disjointed. And by the way, that's when you're talking to a person again when he's high. He's on one topic, suddenly goes to another. He shifts. And sometimes you can't see the logical uh, order between what he said before and what is coming after. Again, this is part of the problem. It alters sequential thought. Uh, it also creates speech impairment due to the loss of what is called an immediate recall and difficult of return retaining uh, acquired information. Uh, this is done by A.T. Wheel and E.W. Zingberg, and then it creates significant impairment of short-term memory, a study done by uh, Mengels and all. So it affects the mind. The other thing that they tell us, this is a study done by M.H. Keeler, is that uh, marijuana users, when they get off of marijuana after a period of time, you have tremendous flashbacks. Uh, it, it, it's like a drug addict who's been using um, um, LSD. And I, I remember when I went to school that there were fellows who had been converted from the, the drug culture and it was at school studying with me. And there were certain rooms they could not go in. The mere color on the wall would trigger a flashback. And uh, if you remember, I don't know if you remember, they just had the, um, the Rodehaver Auditorium. Yeah. They had, I don't know if you remember, at the time they had got a pinkish color on the wall, but they couldn't go in there. The moment they went in there, the color itself sent them back into a flashback. This also happens with marijuana. The people get flashbacks of some of the experiences. Uh, also, there are instances of toxic uh, psychotic reaction. This is the study done by J.B. Uh, uh, Talbill and all. And uh, in addition to that, anxiety depression, rage reaction, the inability to concentrate, and sometimes you get psychotic breakdowns, decreased drive, apathy, uh, poor judgment. It's hard to see all of these negative effects that um, of the drug. And still we have people uh, pushing it, and we still have um, the legalizing of it, and Every home can now have four plants. I, I just can't. You know, we are morally responsible as adults to protect the young. And I cannot understand how we are facilitating the destruction of our youth by advocating the use of the drug and actually facilitating it uh, by changing the certain regulations that uh, would increase its use. The other thing, Nathan, that it causes what is called introversion. And what that means is that you now begin to think only of yourself. 
Your whole life is about you. You're not worried about what your parents think or what society thinks anymore. The whole life is about uh, about you. And then it also causes depersonalization where um, you lo- only, um, you no longer uh, perceive yourself, the reality between the yourself and the environment. Uh, that the distinction between the two is almost lost in the process of using the drug. And another thing is sometimes it leads to magical thinking. You know, that, hey, I can fly. Uh, I, I, I have a, um, a stepson who told me that when he used to use marijuana, he could spend almost two hours just looking at a light bulb, trying to figure out the different shades and looking at the element. He told me he could spend two to three, just look at it, it was just amazing, you know, magical thinking. <laughs> And then, of course, it caused fragmentation of thought, and uh, progressively, you lose loss of insight. It is a total um, negative effect on the intellect. And again, I would suggest to people who, if you were to have a conversation when a guy is on a high, try to talk sense. He is the most brilliant man on planet Earth, and you are sitting there saying to yourself, what is he saying? He's totally confused. But again, that's what marijuana use does. It, it's, it's just a reality. As you were talking, I was thinking, you know how cigarette uh, manufacturers are now required on the packaging to have these graphic images of, you know, someone who uh, maybe has throat cancer or uh, have all these warnings about this may cause this kind of cancer and this kind of thing. Uh-huh. I was just thinking about, I wonder how many fewer people would be using marijuana if each joint was required legally to have those those graphic warnings. And here's a study that is cited in Forbes magazine. Uh, the title of the article was What 20 Years of Research Has Taught Us About the Chronic Effects of Marijuana. These are just a couple of sure, highlights out of there. Uh, one thing that they found was that uh, one in 10 users will become addicted to marijuana. That's one in 10 users that start using it as adults. But if they start using it as an adolescent, that rate increases to one in six. So if as an adolescent you start using marijuana, you are much, much more likely to become addicted to it long term. It's a gateway drug. And I mean, look, I, I trying to, I'm, I'm, I've said this on the radio before, and I really feel disappointed that the medical professionals have not really addressed this issue the way it should be done very thoroughly. I think it's a dereliction of the duty in not dealing with this matter. And as I said, Nathan, the research is available uh, to anybody that really is serious about finding out the real, true, negative consequences of the drug. And it baffles me that we uh, are at this stage and there is such a confusion about the drug it, it, itself. But th- that gives you an idea. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned Forbes study. Yeah, yeah, I Forbes mean, magazine cited I, I mean, and oh, people can go online and see that. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. You know, you see on the cigarette box, the Surgeon General said that marijuana is, I mean, that cigarettes is bad for your health. <laughs> what I can understand, a guy would see that. It's going to cause cancer, but he is so addicted yeah. that he still uses it. Uh, mm-hmm. Why would anybody use cigarettes today? With the knowledge we have today, why do we con- Because people become addicted to these things and uh, they become slaves. 
uh, to habit, and it's very, very hard. Look, without the power of Christ and the transforming work of Christ in a person's heart, I do not know if there's any hope for this, this, this generation that has become so addicted to not only c- cigarettes and marijuana, but sex and gambling and uh, electronic games. Um, we have a whole bunch of addicts today, and they need deliverance. And that deliverance can only come through the power of Christ. And that's why the church has an opportunity uh, to minister to these people. You were saying, go ahead and... Yeah, there's uh, several other things I want to just pull out of this article right here. Ahead. They cite a study from 2015 uh, from BMC Cancer uh, Group that found that current and chronic frequent cannabis use is associated with the development of testicular germ cell tumors. Uh, although doctors are very quick to point out that this does not mean that marijuana causes cancer, there is a strong relationship between cannabis use and the risk of testicular cancer. Uh, another study uh, from the Journal of Sexual Medicine uh, cited that doctors have found that marijuana inhibits the receptors which allow sexual arousal. Uh, we'll just keep it general there, but there's there's medical professionals that are citing this, and again, this is all in an article by Forbes magazine entitled "What Twenty Years of Research Has Taught Us About Chronic Effects of Marijuana." Yeah, but you would never you would you never hear that on CNN. No, you never hear that on on, on the uh, NSNBC. Uh, the information is being hidden from the public because they are all part of the whole mess. They all got vested interest in, in these things. I would not be surprised that a great many of them use this stuff itself. And uh, of course, I get I get emails all the time. If you got any, uh, this is the best way to get retirement money. Invest in, in, in marijuana. This I get that regularly coming to me. <laughs> I don't get that. I guess they know I'm not as close to retirement as you are. <laughs> I get that. Why don't you use investment funds and this kind of thing? It's a whole big. Uh, mercenary thing that is going to ruin lives, destroy people, ruin um, the social order, and I think the long-term effects is going to be so devastating, I'm not too sure we'll be able to recover because it's going to get worse and worse. So is marijuana a harmless drug, Pastor? Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, if what I just pointed out, it affects you physically, it affects you psychologically, it affects you mentally. uh, and you just actually pointed out itself, it, it affects you in terms of your, your health, in terms of... I, I read somewhere and I uh, where that there are more cancer-causing agents. I think, that, I think there were 40 more cancer-causing agents in marijuana than there was in cigarettes. That shocked me, okay? Mm. Um, um, so, so I also read that the it, um, it causes some forms of leukemia. Um, I could actually give the information to anybody that is, is curious about it. Um, uh, As you're pulling that up, let me just do a sure. station ID. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It takes place live every Tuesday evening. We are broadcasting from the island of Antigua. On 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.33. And if you are interested in listening to a previous episode of That's Truth, 
you can go online and uh, search for That's Truth Podcast. Uh, you can find it on Google Podcast or iTunes Podcast or your favorite podcast provider. Or you can just Google That's Truth Podcast and the program will come up and you can listen to any of the previous 74 episodes. We are really glad that you have joined us tonight here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse for That's Truth. And we're discussing the topic of marijuana and drugs Uh, If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number to call is 1-268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question, 1-268-782-1454. Yeah, Nathan, let me mention some other uh, things here quickly about the the, the marijuana. Um, one study shows that it diminishes the body's ability to protect itself from illness by reducing the division of the disease-repelling white blood corpuscles. Um, so clearly that's a negative. Uh, it causes severe strain on the cardiovascular system because it raises the heart rate as much as 50%. That should be something that people should be concerned about. And then the other thing that... Um, as mentioned, is that the the uh, chemical the THC affect the hormones in men and cause a disproportional uh, loss of temporary fertility. You mentioned that just a moment ago. And the other thing is that users who use at a very high level, the they have abnormal sperms, unusual number of abnormal sperms. So that that can take an effect the the child that is born. Um, I have a a family member that um, um, his wife was using the drug and they had warned her not to use the drug but still use it. And the, the girl today is having all kinds of um, spasms and uh, can't function normally. She's mentally affected. I mean, her whole life is going to be ruined, quite frankly. Uh, and she's now like 11 or 12. But they were warned not to use the drug. The other thing that I thought was important and I should have mentioned to you is that the reaction time when you use marijuana is reduced by 40%. And that is why the, when, you, when you're driving on the marijuana, there can be increased the, the possibility of accidents happening. Uh, Pastor, what about... Uh, is there ever a time and a place that a Christian can or should consider the use of marijuana in any form? I would only uh, su- suggest that it's right and proper for a Christian if the doctor recommends it. Uh, I've um, been following some things on the uh, CNN and some of the others, especially Dr. Gupta. Uh, he did a, f- a documentary that was quite quite lengthy, uh, showing that it does have uh, medicinal use dealing with certain medical conditions. So I would I would think it'd be proper if a doctor recommends it. It's just like, uh, for example, you know we have in almost every liquid uh, drug that we take, cough medicines, whatever it is, there's an alcoholic content. Uh, so uh, again, that is something that is medically recommended. Uh, while most Christians would avoid the use of alcohol, uh, if you check the cough syrups and so on and so forth, most of them have got some kind of alcoholic content. 
So it has to do with the proper medicinal use, and if a doctor recommends it, uh, I would have no qualms about its use. If I, if a person felt guilty and the conscience bothered them, uh, you can also try to get an, an alternative. And by the way, the same you can you can get it. You can get the thing that is needed extracted. You don't have to use the marijuana to get it. So you can get that because it also can be synthesized, like in a drug. Okay. So that'd be an alternative. Your conscious body is about to use. What about the religious use? I know there is a religious use of marijuana. Well, <laughs> the thing that uh, fascinated me when I began to look at the claim that the, the, those who are using marijuana that it, it serves religious purposes, etc. It is not really surprising, but in a, in a way, I was not informed that this is not something that is um, unusual. Uh, I'm told when I did the research that, for example, 3,000 years ago, uh, it is claimed that a substance called soma, a uh, chemical, was involved in the origin of creation of yoga. When the person got on this chemical, it led him into the principles of yoga. Uh, in Mexico, for example, the Aztecs, uh, Indians, incorporated the use of of drugs, uh, plants, drug plants, in their religious ceremonies. So, uh, so it, it's um, and I'm told that what the reason why they did that was to stimulate having visions and being connected with God. That's almost 300 BC before marijuana use. And then in in Europe, a place called Salonacea. Uh, it rose to prominence in the 16th century, I'm told, because the witches started using thorn apple, uh, belladonna, uh, uh, something called mandrana, a plant. And these preparation of these plants, when you took them, uh, you had certain vision, uh, vivid, very vision. So, but using the chemical, this group of witches in the 16th century became very popular because they were using these drugs to. So would that be opening up their minds to demonic influence? That's that's my claim, and that's my that, that's my contention. Uh, the same thing, I think, if the American Indians, for example, the American Indian Church, they're using something called peyote, which is, and they get something called mescaline from the peyote plant, which is a cactus plant. They use that in their religious services because uh, they say that when they use it, they get in direct contact with God, and they get revelations from God. So, um, of course, all of this is delusion. Okay, There is no need for any chemical uh, for you to get to know God any better. You get to know God through the Word of God and through knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. And that is why Christianity is so different from most of these religions. Christianity is a religion that is about truth. And I repeat, truth can only appeal to the mind. And that's why there's so much emphasis in the Bible on the mind and the mind, the mind. So we must keep our mind intact. And the mind can be renewed through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. But about, we, don't need, we don't need a drug to get us to, to know God. Yeah. What about the individual or the listener who says, but pastor, that is your God, that is your religion. That is not how I get in contact with my God. I get in contact with my God through drugs or through uh, this other means. How would you answer that from a biblical worldview? From a biblical worldview is this. There's only one true God. There's only one true way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one God. That is Jehovah God. Every other God is a false God. So it's a matter of uh, deciding whether you go after biblical truth or you chose an alternative. That's what is open to people. We, we're not here to 
I, I don't argue whether or not there are ten gods or whatever. I am convinced the Bible is true. I'm convinced what the Bible teaches. I'm sold on it. Full. I know what it has done in my own life. Uh, and I think that we have good song basis for accepting the Bible as the Word of God. And everything boils down to the ultimate matter of evidence and proof. And uh, I am totally convinced that the Bible is the only true religion, uh, Christianity is the only true religion. Uh, And I I, I think the other person has a right to believe who wants to believe. But I would say to him, he is living in a state of delusion. If he wants to say I'm living delusion, he can say that as well. That's his right to say that. But I can say to him that no man is ever going to uh, come to God or ever live with God apart from coming through Jesus Christ. That's the biblical doctrine, and uh, that's the biblical position that we take. But um, So, you know, religion in the marketplace, there's a contest. Who is right? Who is right? That's where the church has to be a voice in the marketplace because we are competing with all these other religions, but it has to be in the marketplace where the decisions made. We just could present the evidence, and by our lifestyle and our change, uh, people begin to see that it's real and authentic, and they might be moved in the direction of the Christian faith. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come in from Antigua. Very practical question. Good evening. Would it be wrong as a Christian to sell or vend during carnival? Honestly, not being part of the ruckus. For me, it would be wrong because my conscience smites me. Uh, I am reaping the fruits of something I don't support. My testimony is at stake as well. And I don't think it is possible for you to be part of that without being affected by it. If you are a normal, natural man with red blood running in your veins, it's hard for you to see these women walking up and coming down in their half-nakedness, and it doesn't affect you. You would have to be a stone right, for that not to affect you. So I don't think it's good. The ungodly music as well, the rhythm, the beat, it is all designed to move the body. And I think it's very difficult for you to be in that situation without being affected. Um, but again, there's no Bible verse that says you can't sell by the side of the road. And this is where it comes back to Christian liberty. But there are other Bible principles that come involved. For example, your testimony and witness. Can a person who is uh, going to carnival and doing all these things in carnival, and they're passing and they're seeing you there selling in the stall, can they think for one moment that you're not part of it? That you don't support it? You don't identify with it? Uh, Jude said to avoid even the very touching of the garments and the appearance of evil. Uh, and to my mind, it's that kind of appearance that a push person should try to avoid. I know it's a time to get some income, but why do you trust God to bring in the income the other way? And why do you challenge your, 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 your you know, why do you allow your testimony to be ruined uh, that way? Um, I, I would not recommend it, but again, there's no Bible verse that says you can't do it. What about the verse that you referenced earlier about make no provision for the flesh? Wouldn't that apply very strongly? That would apply. That's a biblical prayer. I mean, shun the appearance of evil, make no provision for the flesh. Certainly that's making provision for the flesh. Uh, So there are, as I said, there's no direct reference, but there are biblical principles that would help you. And that's why I said I would not recommend it. and I don't think it is right. Uh, for me, for sure, my conscience would not allow me to do something like that. It would bother me immensely. And the Bible said, if if your conscience bothers you, God is greater than your conscience. 
And the fact that you have some doubts there, by the way, it says whatever is not by faith and by doubt, it is sin. So I would suspect that you having some questions indicate that you don't have full faith to believe it's the right thing to do. My recommendation is um, don't get involved. Don't be part of it. Don't share in it. Uh, if there's something else going on, like um, you know, pre pre carnival or something, and you want to sell, I don't have a problem there. But I think to be on the street selling and encouraging this bacchanal, um, I I don't recommend it at all. I think you'll ruin your testimony. If I were to see you on the in a picture in the paper. Uh, the guy is passing by, and I'm seeing you there. Uh, and next Sunday morning, I went into a church, and I saw you. I would be shocked. I would be totally shocked, embarrassed. That um, I would think that you're not a person of discernment, and I would think that uh, you're not too much concerned about your testimony and witness. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.46. We have just under 15 minutes left in the program tonight. Pastor, back to our topic about drugs and marijuana. Based on everything you've been saying tonight, it appears that marijuana is not only dangerous, but it's also harmful. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, most definitely. I I think when you look at the—let's forget the psychological effects for just a moment. Let's think of the physical effects that they cause and uh, the research indicates. Um, I was told some time ago, and I, I don't want to, uh, I, I really cannot remember which medical doctor I've spoken to, uh, but one of the things that he shocked me with, and I don't know if I might share this with you, Nathan, earlier, but the incidence of um, impotency, impotency among young men is shocking. Uh, people in their 30s and late 20s, mm. young men, are impotent. And I suspect that part of the cause of it has to do with the marijuana use as well, because it does uh, it does affect you that way. Of course, there are other factors. I think pornography yeah. is the big one uh, uh, that has, has helped to create that. Uh, so, but I do feel that um, it's a, it's a not only a, it's a harmful drug, and I think people need to stay away. I think young people in particular need to be warned against it. I think somebody needs to do uh, something on this. Uh, maybe, I don't know how to get it across to the young people, but it needs to be distributed in the schools. Uh, so Social media. Yeah, it needs to be. And the media needs to do its job. It needs to uh, to help uh, curb the use of marijuana rather than encourage it. Right now, all I see is that encourage it rather than trying to curb it. And I'm wondering if people in the media themselves are using the drug, therefore uh, they are trying to endorse it. And maybe they've got friends, are they afraid of speaking out on the matter? But this is not the time to be fearful. This is the time to be very, very upright and honest because your interest is the welfare of the youth, and we have a moral responsibility to protect them. How does the Bible fit into all of this? We don't want to just be talking about social aspects. Let's take it back to the biblical worldview in the Bible. Well, let's let's put it this way. Um, the biblical worldview um, is that the truth of the matter is the Bible does not address directly uh, this matter of, of uh, drug use. But there is a uh, reference in the Bible that does deal with substance abuse. For example, drunkenness. The Bible addresses the matter of drunkenness uh, in Proverbs 21, 20, 21, 20 verse 1, and Proverbs 23 verse 20. Uh, it, it surely condemns uh, drunkenness there. And what is drunkenness? It is substance abuse. It's use of a chemical uh, where you lose control of yourself and um, you engage in other activities. In, Co- in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, 
drunkenness is listed as one of the works of the flesh that God rejects and God condemns, that is substance abuse as well. And then in Galatians, uh, Colossians, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, we are told that people who are drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's substance abuse. So the Bible indirectly, uh, by targeting alcohol, uh, does have something to say about uh, when you abuse a chemical uh, God con- and then in Ephesians chapter five verse eighteen, it commands us not to be drunk with wine, filled with the Holy but be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, uh, so uh, abuse of a substance like alcohol is incompatible with the biblical teaching. Uh, the other thing is that the Bible has certain imperatives and certain principles that negate the use of illegal drugs and abuse. For example, Corinthians chapter 6 says, I will not be mastered by anything. What does a drug do? A drug master, it brings you under its control. Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. Paul goes on in that, but he said, I'm free as a Christian, but I will not let anything master me or control me or enslave me. And then Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, avoid excess, right? And that's what uh, the abuse of the drug access. First Peter says that we need to practice self-control. So we don't need to let anything master us. We need to be able to control the use of any substance, basically. And Romans chapter uh, 13 says that we ought to obey the law. So when the law um, says that crack cocaine or marijuana or um, any other kind of illegal substance is, is banned, the law bans that the Christian is obligated to obey the law. Yeah. And then Corinthians uh, chapter 16 reminds us that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if a man destroys God's temple, the Bible said God will destroy that man himself. So we can't take this body and abuse this body uh, by substance abuse. So clearly there are biblical principles that bring to bear on this topic of uh, uh, drug use. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come in from Antigua. Thank you to those who are sending these in. What about products like hemp oil or hemp milk, which contain no or very little THC? Are these products okay to be used by a Christian? Hemp oil is known for its great antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, antifungal, and relaxing properties. And hemp milk is highly nutritious and can be used in place of cow's milk. Thank you for your thoughts. I can't, I don't know about those products because I've never really looked at them. But I would say to the person, again, um, if it is legal, if it is not going to have a drug effect, if the medical profession, um, you have a doctor who's your general practitioner, you said, Doc, can I use this? I would depend on their advice and their counsel to guide me in that direction. However, let me say this. If I was using a particular product and uh, that had in hemp oil or whatever you've got there, and believers were offended by it in my church, Paul said, I will eat no meat while my brother's offended. And I would curb that particular habit if I have to curb that, or I would not publicize it. But I would not uh, find myself in a situation where somebody thinks I'm using an illegal drug and my testimony is ruined just for the sake of feeling better. So I think you have to look at the whole testimony effect you're going to have. But uh, I would say when it comes to those kind of aspects, if I have a general practitioner, 
and I would ask my medical doctor, you know, doc, what do you think about this? I think if he gives it a green light and he, it's like me, I go to a doctor and I, I don't know, this, he, I take his advice, I take his counsel, I don't think he's going to mislead me, but I'm not a doctor, so therefore I'm not going to take things that I don't know anything about and assume that I'm authority on these kind of, and that's what we have today. we got Lily Pushins who don't have an inkling of medical knowledge, who are experts on suggesting that we use certain things. And I don't know how we became so irrational, so insensible to, to just say to these people, you're talking nonsense, and uh, the medical doctor knows more than you. And, uh, you know, that's what rationality is. But today in the modern world, I don't think we have much of that. I'm pretty sure you can just go to Epicurean and buy a box of hemp milk. It's right there beside uh, the other boxed milk. I remember seeing it. Okay, a I've while never back. seen it. But if that is the case, I mean, clearly that is a legal thing, and right. it's not, it's not going to have the mind-altering effect upon you. That's why we said at the beginning, there's no question that there's benefits in marijuana that it has medicinal purposes. Yeah. But the way it is used as a recreational drug to get a person high, that is a dangerous aspect of it that we're trying to say to people. Don't get into the habit, and I wish that the young people would listen because, look, we're losing the generation. I've known so many young men, uh, and you probably have known some, and I'm sure people in Antigua, who were promising scholars, hmm. yeah. did so well in school, and then suddenly they get on this thing, and their brain is cooked. They drop out on the street, they, they look at their whole demeanor, look at their hygiene. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to believe that the transformation that you're seeing has happened so suddenly, but that's the use of the drug. Pastor, we've got three minutes left in the program, and I want you to cover a little bit what you can in this time. How can we as Christians or the church help the situation, and what does treatment and therapy involve? Well, let's try to see if we can do that very quickly. First thing I think that when you're dealing with a person like uh, with with any kind of a drug is that you need to you need to listen, at least listen to their story. But while you're listening, remember that they're masters of deception and they can manipulate you. But the thing is that they need somebody to listen. So I think one of the things is the other thing is try to empathize. And what I mean by that is not support what they're doing, but strive to understand. Uh, what might have caused the use of the person, understand what hurts they were going through or what insecurities or what fears drove them to the use or maybe even their peers. Uh, so to empathize with them means that you try to have, gain some insight into them and you show some kind of compassion on them. You can be so harsh because you yourself have never been involved. Your kids have never been involved. You can be so harsh and that they're not prepared to listen to you. The other thing is uh, affirm your understanding and your acceptance of the person. In other words, you're not supporting what they're doing, but as a person, uh, let them know that you love them, you care about them, you're seeking after their welfare. In other words, that is that is that is saying to them, look, uh, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't support what you're doing. What you're doing, I I I, I think it's wrong. But as a person, I love you. I have your interests at heart. And I would like to be able to work with you. To, right? And then in all of that, though, don't be gullible. Again, these people are masters of denial and they are masters of manipulation. So while you're uh, listening and you're empathizing with them and you're affirming your love and your concern for them, the other thing is try to direct them uh, to try. Uh, let me put it this way. What they need above everything else is Christ. You've got to get that across to them. Uh, you can talk about therapy, which they might need at some point in time. 
and you might need to get the parents involved in the uh, process. But one of the things you have to emphasize is to present Christ, and it's an opportunity to present the gospel to them about the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. So you've got to share the gospel with them. Then um, the other thing that you you need to, to deal with is to try to find out what resources are available for therapy because a person like this is not going to be able to come off the drug by themselves. Part of that is that you have to get the, the, the drug out of the system. The body has to return to normalcy. And that's where sometimes you need medical help. Sometimes even churches that have programs need to work with a physician or some nurses or somebody, especially the person who goes through withdrawal. Because you tell a guy come off the drug, one of the things that he fears is the withdrawal symptoms. It's like a guy who's an alcoholic. Uh, coming off an alcoholic and going through withdrawal is not an easy experience. It's a horrible experience as well. So you're going to have to try to get the person off the drug. Uh, and then, of course, you're going to have to get the parents involved. This is not something the person is going to be able to go to himself. You need a support group. Sometimes if you can get his peers, a young group of peers within the church who could back with him and support him and be there for him, to help him, to encourage him, uh, then of course you've got the body of Christ uh, in that. But it's important to have a support group during this period of coming off the drug. So crucial. Thank you for joining us tonight for That's Truth. Be sure you join us again next week for another practical episode where we take a look from a biblical worldview and we will have another practical topic for you. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse throughout the night. God bless you and have a great night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.